I think it was just me like failing over and over and over again. I come to college, like I failed so many times over and over again, not being the best player. My coach is trying to kick me off the team, me proving myself and then getting injured like three years in a row. And then I was just going through the games and watching the games. And I'm thinking, why am I here? <laughs> Experiences came at me and they kicked my ass and kind of had to grow up a little bit. Put me in a good position now. I used to play Yu-Gi-Oh when I was a kid, so I was like, okay, I'll try out Magic the Gathering because I heard it's adult Yu-Gi-Oh. Picked up a Prosper pre-con and went to Commander Night and fell in love with it immediately. Yeah, I fell in love with Magic after that, 100%. Hugh Watanabe is a Japanese-American pro basketball player who went from playing basketball in the United States to playing for the Ryokyu Golden Kings in Japan's B-League. He's also an Olympian and plays for the Japanese national team. At 6 feet 9 inches, Hugh is definitely the tallest Magic player I've ever spoken to. In this conversation, we talk about his incredible journey from Hawaii to Okinawa. Hugh also makes some insanely original analogies between the game of basketball and the game of Magic the Gathering. Enjoy! Hugh, how are you doing today, sir? Uh, I'm doing pretty good, you know. Uh, had our first practice here in Utsunomiya, Japan. Uh, we're starting to get into things with uh, ESOL, the East Asian Super League. I don't know if you've seen that. I know you're an NBA fan, James, but have you seen like Jalen Green or like Metal World Peace like promoting the East Asian Super League? A little bit. I have to admit, I haven't watched the actual games, but I have definitely heard of the league through players like right that. right yeah. right so it's actually like the first annual uh kickoff i think and they're doing like this little tournament thing here in japan and we play tomorrow and yeah it's pretty cool yeah yeah so i think right off the bat i'll just i'll just get right into it Hugh. like how did you even find yourself in like in this league or on the national team like i guess there's a whole bunch of questions i have around how you made it, how you got to where you are today, but maybe like, I, I would just start with that, you know, like how, what are the circumstances that made you basically play ball professionally in Japan? Yeah. I guess is the question. So I'm half Japanese. So my mother is from Japan, born and raised in Tokyo. And my dad's from Oregon. And because of that, I'm a dual citizen. So I have two passports, American and Japanese, obviously. And because of the loophole of like in Japan, you're only allowed three imports and the rest have to be Japanese uh, because I'm six foot nine and have like a 30. <laughs> a, <laughs> they say you can't teach height. Yeah. yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's because I'm six, nine, 35 inch vertical, seven foot wingspan. Like there's not a lot of Japanese players that can do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, it kind of just fell into place after I got to college and met some people and made some connections and, yeah, it all happened really fast. And after four years of college, I'm here in Japan now. So it's kind of sick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, there's a lot to unpack there. But okay, well, let's just start with this. Because I, I, it's like, this always happens is like when I get super curious, mm -hmm. and I end up wanting to ask like 10 questions, but I have to settle down and just figure out right. what's the one thing to ask next, right? I want to ask like, because I know that you in the maybe we'll go back even farther. Like you, I know you're, you, you place all kinds of sports, right? Mm -hmm. I remember doing a little bit of research on you. Like you used to play volleyball. Right. Maybe that was before you became six, nine or whatever, right. but like, 
what made you even like get into basketball? Was it like some kind of growth spurt or was it like just some sort of passion mm. for, for hoops? Like what was it exactly? If we go back then, honestly, I think it's cause my dad was just obsessed with sports, but not in like the super toxic dad way. It's more like, it just kind of runs in the family. So my grandfather, okay. so it's not like the Williams dad or anything. It was like, no, healthy. <laughs> it was healthy. No, my dad's not like, you know, taking me to the court and like, you can't leave until you make 3000 shots. It was never like that, but, um, mm. he was always trying to keep me and my brother busy with like, just throwing us into sports. And then my mom was like, yeah, mm. let's do that. <laughs> but yeah, I think it just starts with, uh, my grandfather was an NFL player, um, for the 49ers. And then, you know, my dad just grew up around like NFL players. And then, you know, that transitioned into Telemuk where my grandfather was a high school football coach. So it's pretty much because my dad's been around sports his whole life. And I think that really influenced, you know, his decision to just throw me and my brother to all kinds of sports, including basketball from when I can mm -hmm. remember, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's one thing though, to have parents who are supportive of what you're doing, like for example, sports mm -hmm. or playing the piano or whatever. Yeah. But I always feel like, cause you're the first professional athlete I've talked to mm -hmm. on the show. There's gotta be something extra, right? There's gotta be something extra, like in terms of your, your mentor or your willpower that makes you go the extra mile, right? Like, obviously I, I, I know everyone has different circumstances mm -hmm. but like do you think a lot of that came from yourself or it's from your dad or it's like a a mixture of different things including coaching or mm -hmm. other things right so like with like the mental part i think any like professional in any profession has to be like a little bit geared differently for their specific thing or like even you with this podcast like you're super consistent with it you have to be geared a little bit differently to do that um so yeah i think for me with sports though, I think it was just me like failing over and over and over again. Cause in high school, I was just in Hawaii. There's also not a lot of six, nine guys. So I was just better than everyone. Um, mm -hmm. and then yeah, come to college. Like I failed like so many times over and over again, showing up to camp out of shape, uh, not being the best player. My coach is trying to kick me off the team me proving myself and then getting injured like three years in a row. I don't know. You kind of have to restructure and grow up your mindset just to survive. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot there too, but with the injuries and all the stuff that I just said, but I, I'm not special. I'm like pretty average. I think I learned through experiences. I'm not like Kobe Bryant who was like, yeah, 13 years old, I knew I wanted to be the best player ever. <laughs> you know, I'm not like Kobe like <laughs> yeah. that. I, I'm pretty average. Like, There's only one Kobe. Yeah, so, there is yeah. only one Kobe. Um, never liked that. So it was more like experiences came at me and they kicked my ass and kind of had to grow up a little bit and put me in a good position now. Yeah. So it sounds like when you were growing up in Hawaii or doing basketball or sports at that time, you were far above everybody else. Right. I mean, I, I, I guess the analogy I can make is like in my life, it's like, you know, when I was 
in high school or in elementary school, maybe I was like good at certain subjects mm -hmm. and cause you're, you only, your competition is the local kids around mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you could actually be the best at, um, English literature or math. Right. Not that I was the best at math. It's just a random example. Right. right. But then obviously it's like in sports or even in school, it's like, then you go to college and it's a, it's a whole nother level literally. Yeah. So now you're like, now the competition, I mean, I think academics is a competition too. Mm -hmm. So it's like everyone around you is just like, like, who are these people? These people are so gifted. Right. They're, they're from all walks right. of life and like the best of wherever county or place they came from. Right. And I, I'm just wondering, like, when you went that into that transition into into college, because obviously you had you had certain gifts, like physical mm -hmm. gifts, right? But were there certain low points where you just felt like you you felt like you almost wanted to walk away, or like I'm it sounded like up and ups and downs, mm -hmm. but I wanted to kind of hear from you, like what it was like, you know, just that whole learning curve. Yeah. So my first year in college was probably the hardest. Um, I showed up out of shape because. I was super anxious about going. So when I get anxious, like I start getting into my own head and I start shutting down and I won't do anything. I'll just think about it and it will keep like compounding over and over again, which is just the definition of anxiety. Um, and I didn't know how to handle it as a 18 year old. So I showed up super out of shape and we had a senior center who was like seven, three, 265 pounds super athletic oh, you know I mean? <laughs> from germany like he just sees me he's just like you really show up out of shape and like you're gonna do this to the team and he just like took it so personally and took it out on me every single day oh i see every day in practice or whatever every it was, day in practice yeah. or weights or just anything it was just like constantly just being shitted on <laughs> like through basketball verbally and you know, that's kind of just the culture, yeah. I guess, in basketball. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, and then there was also some other things with like teammates and um, my ex at the time. And, you know, they pulled a prank on me and I didn't react well to it and fell into like a super deep depression for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And they actually did send me home for uh, two weeks. And it was, uh, that was kind of like the start of them trying to kick me off the team because I was, okay. you know, mentally bringing a lot of baggage now and not part of the team. And it's not strictly about basketball and basketball and mental health is not really a good combo yet. I mm -hmm. think, mm -hmm. um, but it's also like a huge door opened because of me being sent home is they wanted to kick me off the team. So when the Japan national team reached out and said like, Hey, can we have him for a couple of weeks? They're like, yeah, take him, get him out of here. <laughs> <laughs> take him, bro. Like get him out of here. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's, it's easy to laugh at it in, in retrospect, yeah. but at the time I'm sure you were feeling not, not good about everything. No, at the time so. it was a huge roller coaster and super grateful though about that camp. Cause again, I showed up out of shape cause two weeks of depression can't get out of bed. Like you can't, I don't know if you've ever had depression before, but. Um, yeah, it was the first time I ever dealt with it and went to the camp where I'm like forced to move, forced to do things and it kind of snapped me out of it a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, the world, God, whatever you want to believe in works in mysterious ways. Yeah. That was a weird one. And that was probably the closest mm -hmm. I've ever been to wanting to quit. And then mm -hmm. obviously this past year also thought about quitting cause I had three surgeries in a row on my elbow. 
I mean, I, 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 I have to say, unfortunately, I can't, I can't relate to that because I mean, obviously, because I'm not a professional athlete, I have been injured before, but that's like, oh, you know, I'm playing pickup ball and I sprained my ankle, but that's, that's like nothing compared to actually like having to get, get surgery or affecting like your ability to do a job, right. Where the job is basketball. Like, I'm just wondering, like, cause there's so, there's, there's so much adversity you described, like, how do you, how does you train yourself to, to climb back from that? Cause like, I guess there's an alternate universe where Hugh Watanabe or Hugh Hogland, like just stop playing basketball altogether, like three, four years ago. Right. I, it's weird. Cause I think it's mainly because of the support system I have. Cause I think alone, I would have been way tougher. I don't know if I, you know, that alternate universe you said, like if I was doing this alone, I wouldn't have been there, but my parents are so supportive. My brother is super inspirational with his own right. And he's always supportive and looks up to me and obviously friends. Um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty much because of them that I'm able to like talk to you now as a basketball player. And even as a magic player, because magic players usually are privileged in their own rights um, to even play the game. Yeah, it's really because they had my back the entire time that I'm kind of here right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it hard opening up to your family? Just maybe as a, just as a as a man or as a person, right? Like, is it is it hard to was it was that a process or was it fairly straightforward? I think. Uh, during the depressive stage, no, not really, because I'm a vegetable and can't really think for myself. Uh, but this past year has been really interesting because I had to live with my parents for 10 months because um, I needed to get like medical care from the U.S. instead of Japan. Um, and that was interesting because you're forging a new relationship with your parents is, you know, maybe some 20 year olds do when they have to move back in with their parents after college. It's like, you're sending new boundaries and you're having real discussions and actually trying to move forward with your life along with them. You know what I mean? It's, it's a weird process. Um, and I can't really describe it very well, but well, it's kind of like a reset. It right? is a reset. It's like you've already, you've already lived abroad or you lived outside on your own. Yeah. And it, it's like, you're, it's kind of like now you're in a position of, almost like going back in time yeah. and kind of vulnerability where they have to be your parents as if you were 10 years old or something. Right. right? Especially because I didn't have any function of my right arm for like months at a time. So they really had to help me out. Uh, with like, Oh my God. Are you, are you right-handed? I'm right-handed. Okay. So how did you, how did you even, uh, <laughs> deal with not being able to use your right <laughs> arm for, for 10 months or however long it was like, what did you, what did you have to relearn? Like everything, like everything, like to eating food, putting on clothes, wiping your ass, like everything had to be done <laughs> with your left hand. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird, but luckily like I'm a little bit goofy handed cause I throw a baseball with my left and I do almost everything in basketball with my left except shoot. Um, mm. so okay. luckily it wasn't that big of a deal. But I could only imagine for okay. people who are really right-handed, that would have been tough for them. So you learn how to like use chopsticks with your left yeah. hand and like do everything yeah. with your left. It's a wow. it's a cool little cool little trick that you could do um, on a date or like with friends. Like you're just like, okay, if you can't use chopsticks with your left hand, you owe me five dollars, and I win every single time. <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> the hustle, the hustle, or the grift. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. During that rehab, did you even touch a basketball? Was it, or did you just basically mm-hmm. just um, like take complete complete time off from that? Right. Like, did you learn to shoot with your left hand, or what? <laughs> I can what? shoot with my left hand now, <laughs> but uh, it was like a start and stop and kind of process. Like after the first surgery. Uh, rehab too aggressively so I was like working out with my right hand probably like a month and a half after surgery which was Mm. not the right decision because I had a complete radial head reconstruction with like plates Mm. and screws and the whole wazoo Um, Mm -hmm. so then obviously it broke again I had to get another surgery so you had to stop get another surgery wait like another two months three months before you start shooting again started that for like two months or three months um maybe four or five we were waiting a long time to try to see if it would heal maybe six yeah. months so for six months i was rehabbing and doing a little bit of basketball but not much and then we kind of figured out that it wouldn't heal again so then you have to stop get surgery again this time instead of reconstruction i'm getting a replacement and then I had to have to wait like four months until I could shoot again mm-hmm. or even touch a basketball mm-hmm. and start rehabbing and then start shooting. And then finally, you know, we're finally back to playing. Uh, so it was very, yeah. it's very st- started stop, you know what I mean? Uh, frustrating, but at least we got through it. <laughs> I mean, you must've had a lot of, willpower i mean that's like multiple surgeries like how do you what what was going through your mind during that long period of you know like going for the second one and like how how do you how did you like what was your self-talk to to kind of keep yourself going yeah it changes right um because each surgery was different in its own right um after the first surgery i was kind of like yeah i'm gonna come back even better bigger stronger faster it was really like positive self-talk and I wanted to get back as quick as possible. And that's probably why we rehab so fast is because I was like trying to fake my way into thinking I was healthy. And after the second surgery, it was like complete despair. <laughs> like, oh. you know, I was like, damn, I broke it again. And the second surgery was a lot harder than the first one on me personally, like physically. And then I was out for season and I was just going to the games and watching the games. And I'm thinking, why am I here? <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. why, why am I here? Mm-hmm. Like they're playing the games that I have no effect on. I want to be here for my teammates, but at the same time, I'm alone, miserable, can't use my right hand. Um, mm-hmm. Very, very like, very isolated. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they sent me home to get help in the U.S. because we realized it wasn't going to heal. Um, and then after the third surgery, it was like, I kind of get how to do this now. I kind of get how to rehab my elbow. I kind of get how if it breaks again, I'm not going to fall for, you know, getting my hopes up and then just being absolutely completely down. So the third one was more of a day-by-day thing, like just wake up, do what I got to do, go to sleep, wake up do what I got to do, go to sleep. Um, that sounds kind of depressing, but it's, it was a lot of fun actually just being really present, um, and everything that I was doing, whether it was like rehabbing, working out, playing magic and hanging out with friends, like 
it was a good little change up from pro basketball life. Mm -hmm. And how's the, how's the arm now? Like, uh, obviously I see in your Instagram shares that you're, you know, you're, um, you're dunking. Like it looks like you're pretty agile. Like, is it a hundred percent or, or how, how does it feel? It's, uh, it's always sore, <laughs> but that's because the okay. muscles haven't been used in a month and a year and seven months, but there's no like sharp pain or anything. It's as normal as you could possibly be probably like 85 out of a hundred percent. Um, probably like going back to your sprained ankle analogy with uh, casual basketball is probably like after week one and your ankles, like I could definitely play. And once the adrenaline goes, like I could definitely be a hundred percent. But yeah. when I stop, it's like hurting a little bit. It's probably what my elbow oh. feels like. Yeah. Is, is that how it's always going to be? Or is it like, where it'll just get stronger over time? The muscles that work? will get stronger over time, but because it's a full implant and it's metal on bone, all the cartilage that was on the radial head is gone. So eventually I'm going to have like really, I don't want to say really bad arthritis because if my muscles are really good, then it won't come through that. But I'm definitely going to have arthritis when I'm like 40, 50, 60. Okay. Yeah. You still got a bit of time before that. Yeah. You still got, uh, many, many decades of, of life. So, um, um, but I, I gotta ask like, how did you even, um, Heard it in the, how did you get the injury in the first right. place? It was from basketball or something it was else? Basketball it was my first preseason game on the Ryukyu Golden Kings. And I was doing really well, but I wanted to get 10 points. This is the last 10 seconds of the game. So I go for the fast break and I'm going for the dunk, running as hard as I can. And then the other person's team undercuts me. And I get, oh. lose my balance and get scared a little bit. So I fall like this onto the floor mm -hmm. and then all the force just goes up your arm up to the radial head and the radial head mm -hmm. exploded into three pieces mm -hmm. yeah okay yeah so it was a very traumatic injury yeah. and you know it's kind of like what you saw with like andrew bogate or even gary payton in the most recent playoffs yeah 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 uh, but yeah. Uh, they had ligament and muscle damage and i didn't have any of that which made my injury really freaky and the doctors couldn't really mm -hmm. understand it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, okay. I will definitely not try to find any <laughs> clips of your injury. Um, I remember one time, like, cause I was, I've always been a Sean Livingston fan, right? Mm -hmm. Like even back when he was a, a clipper mm -hmm. and I saw that injury that he had on YouTube because one day I was just like kind of bored. And that is something that, um, I would never, I want to, that's something I, that's like one of the few things in life I want to unsee, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and so, I mean, you can also just tell by the way athletes, uh, respond to other athletes getting injured. It's just like, um, you don't wish that on anyone. So, um, no. um, yeah. And I, I feel bad now, even like bringing it up, like asking you, how did you get injured? Cause it's like, it's kind of like forcing you to like relive it in a, in a small way. Right. So yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. I mean, probably hundreds of people have asked the same question when I'm walking around in a sleep. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it's a great conversation starter, but yeah. Relived it enough. Yeah. 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 So, um, 
how did you get involved with magic did it did it happen for you like in in college or like who introduced you to the game like what was the deal with that so this is after my third surgery so very recently i got into magic um and my girlfriend at the time uh who's my ex now she used to work for hasbro and used to design games for hasbro um so obviously i tried out D first and i was like dd's cool but it's not really my jam um, i like the imaginative aspect and the social aspect but it's not really my thing and then that just mm -hmm. led to me looking up watsi and finding they also have another game called magic the gathering and i used to play Yu-Gi-Oh when i was a kid so i was like okay i'll try out magic the gathering because i heard it's adult Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good description right? I love yeah it. and picked up a prosper pre-con at my local game store and went to commander night and fell in love with it immediately like the feeling of like doing prosper things of just like churning through and making treasures playing stuff from exile card advantage mm -hmm. it had like even now i get goosebumps just thinking about it like that first like moment mm -hmm. of like magic of like falling in love with it like it was so real like i couldn't stop smiling and it's like my whole entire head felt like a an airhead balloon you know the commercial <laughs> Where they just blow up yeah. yeah it's really freaky but yeah i fell in love with magic after that 100 percent. was that in the us or was it in japan it was in hawaii um oh it was in yeah, hawaii. other okay. other realms the lgs in hawaii um yeah and i made a lot of really good friends um through magic too which is something that i didn't really expect either to kind of create my own little community at a local cafe um yeah and i still talk to them today so yeah i mean magic has that's, given me that's, a lot for sure that 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 is cool and uh you you mentioned to me that you, you you just mentioned commander but you also draft or you play limited is that the other thing you do i love limited limited is probably i fell in love with magic through commander but limited is what uh, i i don't really know how to describe it limited is amazing because it kind of brings in everything that i love about basketball into card games and then the one-on-one -on -one aspect the competitive aspect is super cool um you have to elaborate more like i this is this is awesome like what what how is this similar to basketball <laughs> like, i i like because because i think of magic is like puzzle solving mm -hmm. and obviously i've never played high level basketball mm -hmm. other than pick right. up but um like, like what, what is it about magic and the similarities? Okay. So I think the best way to do this is like when you're drafting, you're literally drafting like your own team or your own deck and you have to like, you have your bombs and then you have your support pieces to get to those bombs or have removal to play defense. And it's like similar to basketball, like say on the national team, I don't know if you know these players, but maybe you do. Uh, the most recent window we have Yuki Togashi, Yuki Kawamura, Josh Hawkinson as probably our three super bombs um, that the other teams probably can't answer. Uh, they're like a planeswalker mm -hmm. or something. And then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in limited, obviously, um, 
because those planeswalkers in limited is stupid but and then like you have the, your support pieces with like you either have me or you have like a kalamata we're just supposed to get rebounds connect the ball to them play defense on the hardest on their bombs make sure they're not working too hard um and make sure their usage percentage is always like probably way higher than mine right so basketball at a high level is really just puzzle solving and like space management um of trying to get your best players in the best position all the time so you just screw over mm -hmm. the other team and blow them out by 30. Um, and also putting yourself <laughs> yeah. in the best position because like i'm not a three-point shooter but i could always cut back door and get a dunk um mm -hmm. and like limit is the same way where like you have to build your deck in a certain way or else it's just going to fall apart kind of the way you have to build the team in the same way or else it's going to fall apart and on top of that, for the one-on-one -on -one aspect, and then you're playing for prizes, it's kind of like basketball where it's like one-on-one, -on -one, you know, teams. Um, and it was also a good outlet during surgery to, like, get my competitive juices flowing because I couldn't physically do anything. But, like, going to the local game store and trying to grind out wins against, like, <laughs> the local, like, sweaty people in Hawaii because it's pretty spiky over there. Um, yeah. was really fun, too. Uh, yeah. And then last thing, last thing, there's obviously archetypes like aggression, like aggressive archetypes, tempo and mid range. Each player, I think in basketball falls under that line. I think, uh, uh, what's the limited resources guy's name? Oh, Marshall Sutcliffe and Ellis Marshall. Marshall said this in a podcast. He said that your competitive, your competitive spirit, I guess, your competitive thing is reflected in magic. Um, Cause I'm an mm -hmm. aggressive player in basketball and mm -hmm. the best decks that I play are aggressive and limited and commander. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, that's also like a super cool thing that I saw relating to basketball on a personal level rather than like puzzle solving macro level. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely magic is great at just, you can, your personality comes through, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's in the colors or as you said, like the archetypes that you play. Um, personally, I love playing aggro as well or aggressive decks. Mm -hmm. It's just like everyone has their own style. And uh, obviously the best players in the world, someone like a, a Reed Duke or whoever, they can they can play amazingly with mm -hmm. all styles. But I think I think no matter what, no matter whether you're Reed or just, just yourself, right? Like you people have a preference, right? right? So you, 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 people naturally skew towards something. It's, it's also kind of like maybe sports too. It's like, um, you know, there's a lot of players who make the NBA, like everybody was a superstar before they made the NBA mm -hmm. in college mm -hmm. or whatever, mm -hmm. but then they have to play a role. Yeah. And once they, once they like, once you're Gary, Gary Payton Jr. Or like you, you have to find your way into a rotation, then you have to like figure out how can I add value? Mm -hmm. And so I think that is really um important as well and i think in magic like sometimes you have to figure out what is the best way to play for a given metagame yeah. and so it's like maybe you're an aggressive player but like the best thing to do right now is to play control or right. adapt right. right so that's also another cool thing relating to magic and basketball the meta fiba and nba obviously have like way different rules right and fiba favors the rudy gobert's of the world 
rather than the NBA. Oh yeah, because of the uh, the leniency for the goaltending, or like what you can do that, is that is that what you mean, that, or is it then, or is it also the defensive yes. like offensive defensive penalties? The right? defensive three second violation in the NBA doesn't exist in FIBA. So oh, so you could just really just 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 roam. Yeah, like you could Rudy just, Gobert just camps just, in the paint. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and just shuts down like, the most efficient shot of basketball, which is the layup or the free throw, because right. Rudy right. Gobert doesn't really foul that much. So, right, right. Yeah. yeah, it's it's weird how like you see teams like adjust to the meta. Like France is pretty old school because they have a bunch of seven four superstars, and then Japan we have to just chuck threes just to even stay up, keep mm. up with them. Hmm. Because of the the size or yeah. or lack right. thereof or like various factors, yeah, and we right? also have to yeah. use like a lot of misdirection and run like yeah. quickly and like a lot of plays with a lot of pace, so we get tired more quicker than like say a Rudy Gobert would on the France team. So it, it's mm. it's weird. Different teams, different decks do different things to eventually get the win. Was it? I mean, other than like coming back from the injury itself, was it hard like to adjust to playing mm -hmm. Japanese basketball? Mm -hmm. Like what, what's that process been like, like playing in America or playing for like, uh, American colleges and then going to Japan? Like what, how's that transition been? So American basketball to overseas basketball, I want to say, um, the main difference I think is, um, probably the skill level and the IQ that the players have on the court is way higher at the pro level than it is at the college level. But here in Japan, the really weird thing is the athleticism, even at the mid-major level in the U.S., I think, is probably a little higher um, than here at the pro level in Japan. So, uh, yeah, that's the biggest thing that I've had to adjust to is, like, people... I can't do, like, little cheating, like, I can't cheat on defense, so to say. I can't sag off my man too much and then, like, try to choke the post a little bit harder, get closer to the post, or maybe the star player has their has the ball and I can get closer to him to make sure it's clogged. But you can't really do that because usually my person is going to backdoor as soon as he sees it or hit the shot, hit the three-point shot because he's a little bit more wide open. And it's you get more punished for taking shortcuts, for mm -hmm. sure. But... Mm -hmm. My advantage is being quicker, faster, jump higher, um, run, yeah. And I'm pretty much like a mono red aggro player here. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I just run as hard okay. as I can. And usually I score and get a lot of rebounds because of that. Uh, right. And have like right. the IQ part catch up later. Mm. Yeah. Okay. What about like just playing basketball in general with, I, obviously there's import players, mm -hmm. but there's also your Japanese teammates. Mm -hmm. And I have to assume that even though you're half Japanese, like you didn't grow up like with all Japanese mm -hmm. basketball mm -hmm. players. So like, what has that been like in terms of like gelling mm -hmm. and just communication mm -hmm. and all that stuff? Right. So on my club team, the UQ Golden Kings, um, communicating with the Japanese players is really hard because I'm not fluent in Japanese. I'm probably like a third or fourth grade level. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's hard to like, I guess, bond more. I think that's also another big difference from American college to pro is 
in American college, you're just surrounded by these guys 24 seven, live in the same dorms, go to the mess hall at the same time, just any, like any college group of friends. Right. Um, yeah. here in the pros, like they're 30 year old men with like real families or 36 year old men with real families. Um, so even with the American players, you can't really get close to them like that, but basketball is basketball. It's always one language that you're always speaking, maybe different vocabulary, but everyone kind of gets where to go and what role you have to play pretty quick. Um, and you just make marginal, uh, advances. You get marginally better as the season goes on in those right. roles. Right. Yeah. What about working with the coaching, mm. the coach and the coaching staff? Like what, what's that like? Mm. Because, um, my, my terrible generalization of Asian or Japanese culture is that like at least corporations is that it's very hierarchical. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I would argue that sports is basically hierarchical mm -hmm. as well. Right. Unless you're in the, in the NBA where you call the shots cause you're the, you're, you're the player. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. Right. I was going to say, um, you, you dictate exactly what happens. But 99% of the time, that's not what happens in sports. But you also add the dimension of it being Japanese culture. What What's that like? It's, it's different. This is a hard one, I think, because I've seen a lot of things done here in Japan that I don't think I could really get into on the podcast um, publicly, but. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're not going to try to put you on the yeah. spot. So whatever you're allowed to say, yeah. you know, <laughs> I mean, it's definitely hierarchical within like the coach and the staff itself. Um, like if the head coach doesn't go to something then the staff can't go to it, um, say it's like a get together and the head coach is like busy with his family or something, then the staff can't go because the head coach can't go. So in that way, it's very hierarchical. Mm, chain of command kind yes, of thing. Exactly. Yeah. But regarding like coaches and players relationships, um, obviously you listen to whatever the coach says, his decision's final, but, um, luckily like coach die is very lenient, um, with like, here's how your body's feeling, um, very much a player coach, I would say. And then on the national team, coach Hovis, he speaks English. So it's, he's, he's from America. So it's a lot easier to communicate with him what I'm thinking, um, how I see myself in the role of the Japan national team. Um, will I make the world cup team or not? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's these fingers crossed, fingers crossed yeah. but it, it's different in the way they interact with themselves, but with players and coaches, I think it's the same as the U S that's what I want to land on. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Without being too incriminating. Right. I got, I get you. I get you. My words, not yeah. yours. Yeah. 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 I yeah. say that. <laughs> um, any, any, uh, fun stories from like, like with your teammates that you're, you're allowed to share, like any, any, any interesting or fun stories or even like weird things that have happened, like while you're traveling or playing a game or like in the locker room, anything at all. Anything at all. Weird stories. I mean, for me, it's always weird seeing like my teammates, kids run around um, the gym afterwards at the game. <laughs> it's actually yeah. kind of jarring. Cause I mean, I can't really say this anymore cause I'm 24, not like a 21 year old, like Carl over there, but it, it's still mm -hmm. like weird to me to see like 
all these guys who like I interact on a daily basis, like literally just went to the convenience store with Josh and um, he's looking for pancakes for tomorrow's like breakfast. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like totally normal, like teammate stuff. And then you go to the games after the games, he shows up and his wife and kids are there. And it's, it's, it's so jarring. I don't really know how to explain that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's weird. But that's just coming from. I, I guess guy. it's just like have different generations of players all on one team. Yeah, right? that doesn't happen really in in college. We're all kind of around the same age. Yeah, it doesn't so. happen in college, high school, AU, anything like that. Growing up and then turn pro, and it completely changes. But that's for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, weird stories. I there's a couple going through my head, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not good to, not good to put, put it out there in the public, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. I think a cool story at the Olympics was, obviously, there's a guy named Gavin Edwards, who's a Kiko Senshu and Avi Schaefer, and we're just, like, hanging out at the mess hall. And I think it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, because I'm obviously a sports fan, too. So just seeing, like, the, the All Blacks from New Zealand, and then, like, they come up to us, and we're obviously, like, we're lined up as, I'm 6'9", Gavin's, like, 6'9", Avi's, like, 6'10", 6'11", just three massive Japanese dudes. And they come up to us, and they're like, oh, what's up, guys? In their New Zealand accents. And I'm like, what sports do you guys play, you know? Uh, are you guys, like, a bunch of rowers, a bunch of cyclists? And we're just like, all right, bro, like, what's up? stop messing with us we're obviously like humongous human beings there's only two sports we can really play which is volleyball and basketball yeah yeah and like no 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 like those guys over there we thought they were basketball players too but they're actually a bunch of rowers and we look over there and like what country was it i don't even remember what it was they had green jerseys on but they're all like waving and then they stand up and they're all like six eight six nine just gigantic rowers um, yeah, I just thought that was pretty cool because I don't know. I loved all blacks and they were talking. And we got to hung, hang out after that and have a little lunch um, at the Olympics, exchange pins, hear mm-hmm. about like how hard the sport rugby is. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, yeah. yeah, I don't really have any really good stories on the spot like that. Okay. What about just things you've learned from your teammates, your current teammates, like mm. anything at all, mm-hmm. whether it's basketball or life related, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's, uh, all about perspective, right? Um, we have a guy like Josh Duncan on our team, 36 years old, been around the blog to Europe, to Japan, played in the NBA a little bit. Um, it's just all about perspective and like, how young I really am in this game and I want to do so many things so fast. It's just like, dude, you need to chill out. Um, Cause that's how I got hurt in the first place. Mm. Just having a little bit more patience, I guess. And I don't trust the process. I think that's like the biggest life lesson I've learned from like him, Jack, AD is that they've been doing this for like 14, 15 years. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like slow down, take a deep breath, 
let it come to you a little bit more and don't try to like rush out and do everything all at once. Um, basketball wise, I think, yeah, knowing your own teammates and their strengths is probably like the biggest thing I've learned at the pro level. Cause that's really what it's all about. Um, rather than like specific X and O's or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. Just really scouting your own teammates and knowing every single thing about them on the court is probably going to get you way farther than like learning certain plays or anything like that. Uh, You mean just knowing their tendencies and like how to, how to best support them or like play alongside them? Okay. Just knowing like that on like an individual level or like what, you know, what makes your team get into the best possible position? Um, what can you do to like make your team marginally better at that position than the other team? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. always thinking about that. It looks different every time down the court. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so hard because it's so context related, but that's why they're pros and that's why we're pros because you have to know how to make that snap decision at that moment, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Split second decision, um, as the cliche goes, right. Or like game of inches is the other cliche. Mm-hmm. Just, just like, that's the difference between, I guess, success and failure yeah. know, in sports or something. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Whether you get signed next year or you don't. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Well, well, you mentioned that stuff about like learning, you know, your strengths of your teammates and things like that. But how do you work on, how did you work on that? Like, did you, was it like very intentional? Like, did you, did you, did you have like self-reflection? Like, was it through, like, cause, cause the question I guess started out by saying like, what'd you learn from your teammates? And mm-hmm. you just observed that there are people who are really good at that and you wanted to try and follow in their footsteps or mm-hmm. what was it? I see. That's what I'm trying to figure out right now. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's really what I've been kind of wrestling with because, you know, I'm 24 and like my time to be the next, you know, Kevin Durant or the next, you know, even Duncan Robinson or JJ Redick is kind of running out. So, you know, what can I do? I don't know. I don't want to say realistically because realistically is kind of depressing, but like, what can I do right now to just be the best player possible? And it's like. I need to be a connector and get our best players in the best position possible. Like a Draymond Green mm-hmm. type. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you watch Draymond Green and some of his highlights, but I think the biggest thing is like constantly going over like situations of like, you know, mental reps of like yeah. in-game stuff of like, okay, Co's here and I'm here. How do I get Co going to his right? If Jack Cooley's down there and I'm in the same game as him, like how do I get out of his way? Um, stuff like that and then, like mm-hmm. constantly learning about like where they want the ball and what they want to do and what positions they want to be in and get out of their way pretty much or mm-hmm. put them in that position I think it's just mental reps and game reps obviously so when it does come I'm not thinking about it I'm just doing it mm-hmm. yeah the game's not playing me I'm playing the game kind of like mm-hmm. how Reed Duke said on your previous podcast with paper magic stuff. I found that really relatable. (laughs) Yeah. Like when he said, um, it's, it's so developed that he doesn't have to think about it. Right. Cause then when you you have to spend mental energy thinking about like putting one foot in front of the other, 
the mechanics of playing basketball or magic, then it's it's hard to like go higher than that, right? Yeah, it's hard to play at the level everyone else is playing at, or maybe you're not becoming your best self, like just going through the logistics and okay, I'll keep draw, do all my yeah. attacks, um, rather than like run down. They call a play. I'm supposed to go here. Okay, I'm supposed to go there. That's it. Rather than like, okay, the defense is doing this, reacting to this play, like going to the next step. And there's probably another step after that, but I don't know about it yet. So, mm-hmm. yeah. The other thing you mentioned was uh, in the first part of your answer was like, just learn to be more patient. Mm-hmm. Have you always been more of an inpatient person, whether it was in sports or otherwise? Like, how would you describe yourself in that in that way? I think it's, I think it's mostly patient. I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty patient outside of sports. It's just when it comes to basketball, I've had years. You're a different person. Yeah. Is that that how it goes? Maybe, but I think it's just because I've had years taken away from me Mm -hmm. um, with my injuries. So it's like, I'm trying to catch up all the time, trying to be super hyperactive and just catch up. If I expend more energy than the other person, I'm going to catch up. And sometimes it just doesn't mm. work like that. Mm. Yeah. Um, but outside of basketball, I think pretty patient. I think you have to be pretty patient to play magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Speaking of uh, playing magic, like, have you have you tried playing magic in Japan? Has, is that something that you've tried to do at all or mm-hmm. it's just been too busy? I, I did try the first couple months, except I found out that like Japan's really, really, really spiky no matter where you go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Commander's not really a thing here. They just love playing one-on-one and just trying to like beat the other person. I guess because the games are quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it kind of explains why Shota Yasuoka is so good because... Everyone here is like ridiculously good at magic. <laughs> the limited scene here is kind of intense. Um, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Different cultures doing different things with the same game. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe I can share a little, a little bit on my side. Like, What's it like in uh, China. Oh, um, in China, there are also some really good players and. But there's there's a lot of commander players though, so it's not as spiky as Japan. I was gonna say from the the part that I wanted to share was just like I did manage to play Magic in Japan before because um, uh, I love playing a, a format for Magic called Legacy. It's uh, kind of a, a eternal format, competitive format. And I used to I went to Japan a few times before, obviously Tokyo and like. Um, uh, lots of stores, right? Um, I think the Har- Har- Haruya, um, uh, yeah, you're Japanese, you can pronounce it better than I can. <laughs> uh, uh, but also I played in like Eternal Weekend when there was, uh, I think it was, there was one that it was near Tokyo. I, I don't remember if it was like, I don't remember the city anymore, but it was like a, a fairly quick, like train ride from Tokyo. And I remember, um, playing uh it might have been mm. um i have to dig it up it was before covid so that felt like a lifetime ago right. um and and what was really surprising for me because it was the first time i played competitive magic or a tournament in japan like the one thing that japanese players do you know this right like you have to um 
first like show them your cyborg cards face down <laughs> right that's like japan is like the only country i guess it's in the rule book of apparently but I, I i actually felt extra tired in that tournament because number one because i had traveled and like i stayed at um a capsule hotel overnight and i wasn't used to that oh it was super clean but it was also like very foreign to me right yeah very yeah. cramped very um, yeah, yeah 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 um but and also the language kind of a cultural language barrier but mm -hmm. also like presenting the, the cyborg cards and it was just like a whole bunch of extra things that it's I very didn't yeah expect very yeah. much more formal over here like it's very even in the casual scene like i don't know if it's like this in china or whether you play in the US, but like in limited here, like they still do it by the, you know, you count your 15 cards and you, then you do the timed rounds for each selection in the draft. Yeah. Even yeah. on like a casual Tuesday night where like we're not playing for anything. And yeah. it shocks me, like rather than like we just pick, pass, pick, pass, like in the States. So. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's everything is so formal in Japan and uh, it's nothing like that in China or um or canada where i grew up mm. it's like i'm sort of like uh, between cultures too right mm -hmm. but uh china's nowhere china's much closer to north america than than japan i would mm. say um japan is just like hyper hyper formal and like society takes itself um i'm gonna offend people but like society takes itself like super seriously mm -hmm. like convenience stores are are dope because like like everything like the japanese do they want to like execute it at a high level yeah. they want to like be super professional at it mm -hmm. and yeah i mean I, I i would have to assume that's been like also an adjustment for you right just just living there it's it's weird because they expect that from you outside of the court but on the court they will give you every single excuse you would want if you would want to uh, take it okay yeah okay it's different um rather than america basketball like if you don't perform you have like you know some twitter user like 420 bagels commenting like why are you playing so terribly like you're the worst basketball player ever you know um, yeah japan's the complete opposite which is also really interesting mm. yeah yeah so, it's weird. So you can mostly be yourself on the basketball court. It's just like once you're off the basketball court, then you're you're actually in Japan again. Yeah, yeah. You have to be very majime. You have to be very serious. You can't be like seen, like doing sketchy stuff. Um, yeah, no clowning around. Yeah, yeah, I can't even go play Magic on Tuesday nights anymore because we have games on Wednesdays now. And then someone would take a picture, post it on Twitter, and then. Yeah, that'd be a huge scandal. Oh, for real? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's a there's like a code of conduct or like uh like unwritten code uh, yeah. etiquette or something. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, wow. Like if you're not for the kings and you're on the kings, then we're not going to give you as many passes on the court. You know what I mean? So mm. it's very much like okay. we'll give you this if you give me that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I also have spoken to friends who have lived in Japan because mm -hmm. uh, I didn't live in Japan. I've only visited right a couple mm -hmm. times as a tourist. And they also mentioned the kind of like difficulty it is to integrate into Japanese society. Just like, mm. it's not necessarily a language thing. It's like, even if you can speak Japanese, like they all, they, they do feel sometimes that they are very much like 
the outsider. And mm -hmm. I would argue that's true in a lot of places, including China. So I'm not trying to say like Japan's the only place mm -hmm. or society that happens, mm -hmm. but um, I also wonder about that. I, I don't know if you've experienced that or it's a little different because you're kind of an athlete and you're just, you're just, you're just, they're playing basketball, right? right. We're, we're surrounded by a certain like infrastructure that's different. So mm, it's both ways in Okinawa. Basketball is so big that you are basically a celebrity on the island of Okinawa. But mm -hmm. on mainland Japan, I turn off the court, I turn in from like basketball player Hughes to like all of a sudden, like I'm this super tall, white looking guy. You're just the tall guy. Gaijin, is that yeah, what they call the, it? Yeah, the super tall Gaijin. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I've been trailed by like police officers before. I've had like, old like Japanese women just totally try to cuss me out because I was just a little too loud on the bus or, uh, Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Just like, and then obviously the stairs, uh, people are always staring, uh, not in the yeah. good way either. Like the kind of like the mean way, <laughs> just, just gawking at you. Right? Yeah, yeah. Either gawking or like giving you like a stink eye. Um, really? Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Um, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not six nine, so I'm, yeah. I'm just a, a comfortable six foot zero. So I mean, I'm not. Oh, that's still not, pretty not, tall, though. It's still pretty tall. I, I'm still above average for like Asian standards, but yeah. I mean, it's it, it's different, right? Yeah. If you're six nine, like you, you literally have to duck um, through doors and things like that. So mm, you, you're right, but uh, yeah, in the states it's super normal, but like here's like mainland Japan, especially, it's hard to integrate for sure. Mm -hmm. How's it mm -hmm. like in China, I guess China, there's so many people, they just don't care. <laughs> you know, I have a friend who does play like, I mean, he's not, he wasn't like a pro basketball player, but he was pretty tall. He's like a Chinese guy, mm -hmm. uh, Taiwanese like I am. And uh, he's six, four. And right. I remember he visited me in Beijing back when I was living in Beijing like uh -huh. a couple years ago. And people were openly gawking at him on the subway. Uh, so I can only imagine like if you're six, nine, right? Right. Like, he was only six, four. I mean, I, I mean, that's already like, I don't know, like top one percentile for like Asian people or yeah. something. Uh, um, so for me, I don't feel anything, but I do, I do know that most of the time in the subway, I'm probably the tallest person on the train, but, um, but that, but you like you, you're on another level. He's on another level. Right. Um, and I also used to get weird stuff like this too. Like, you know, like I would just talk to my friend in English while I was on the train and uh -huh. then people would just look at me like, Oh, this, this guy looks Chinese, but he like, he's speaking English. Like, yeah. wow, what's going on? And that, you... that's, that's less common now, but, uh, but you speak both fluently. It's interesting. So I lived in, I've, I've lived in mainland China for about 10 years now. Uh -huh. And I would definitely say my Chinese has gotten a ton better right. like in terms of, uh, becoming more fluent and listening. Uh, it took years though. It's it just like organic, right? Yeah. Uh, definitely in the beginning I was like, I would say when I started living here like 10 years ago, uh -huh. I could maybe understand like 60% of what people were saying, mm. but now it's more like a hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then yeah. speaking wise, it's obviously gotten better too. So now you're hearing everything and understanding everything and you could respond in real time. My, my speaking and writing is still pretty limited, uh -huh. but I think for everyday, uh, conversational, it's totally fine. Oh. I, I would say I'm probably at like, uh, uh, I don't know, like a fifth grade or sixth grade level oh, okay. Mandarin speaker. Okay. So that's enough, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's enough to get by. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
I often get I often get confused for like being like more skilled because I don't have much of a um, an accent or yeah. like, I, don't, I sound pretty natural when yep. I speak, right? I don't yep. I don't know how it is for you and your Japanese. So I have a little accent, but it's not enough for them to like catch it immediately. And then when they start mm. talking more, and then when mm. I can't answer back because my vocabulary isn't that wide yet, or I don't have that big of a vocabulary, then it's like, then they figure it out like, oh, you don't know Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that part is, um, yeah, I mean, have you have you been able to make like good friends while you're in Japan? Is it like with your teammates or like uh, like has that happened or? Mm, I mean, with my teammates, it, it's such like a professional setting that I wouldn't say like I'm really good friends with them. Obviously, friends, but like not really good mm -hmm. friends. And I just haven't had a lot of time because I got here in December. Mm -hmm. Um and the national team stuff picked up on mid-february so i didn't have a lot of time to like really integrate myself in the magic community um i'm part of like a like a group of people that play commander wednesdays and sundays but that's when i play my games so it's like uh, uh, damn you know well, i gotta take basketball so. <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm not mm -hmm. gonna i'm not as good as like reed duke where i could just like make money off of playing magic <laughs> that's that's really hard yeah. yeah that's really hard do you play competitively still just a little bit mm. i'll be honest i spend most of my time like doing this podcast and actually playing magic oh. uh, so it's like i talk about magic or with other people more than actual magic but right. i do play a little bit online so uh -huh. like i play on magic online oh, and uh, one of my goals this year is to actually um play play more magic mm -hmm. like i i just feel like i i kind of lost that last year especially with like covid and like these crazy lockdowns in in shanghai where i am right um i it wasn't hard it wasn't easy to play paper magic mm -hmm. last year but now that things are kind of back to to normal mm -hmm. like um i i definitely want to do more because um i've just kind of figured out that at this point in my life like i don't have any aspirations to become like a reed duke or anything right but i just really want magic to be like a good hobby right a good like a good outlet yeah um and i'm i'm not like i've i've shifted like from i used to play more basketball and i've sort of peaked and i'm i'm old <laughs> and i i'm just now like a long distance runner and i play mm. magic because like long because you can never get injured long distance running like i i like i, I can't compare myself to you but um <laughs> All the injuries I ever had in my life were like from playing basketball, yeah. like contact sport, basically. Yeah. And I, I can count on like, like two fingers, like the times I got injured, like running, you know? yeah. Because it's it's just like I just love running now. It's just like, um, how, how long do you run? I try to do like, like uh, in kilometers. That I don't use miles. Sorry, uh, yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. <laughs> I try to go. I try to do like. 10 15 kilometer Ooh. runs like sometimes i sometimes i do like 20 kilometers i like long oh distance um yeah yeah oh that I, I get really into like the flow state when i'm running man right no i mean you shouldn't say that you're an athlete so it's like you you, you probably do that anytime right so no it, it's no <laughs> it's different right because basketball is like fast twitch muscles and, basketball is yeah. twitch muscles and 
we get like pseudo five second breaks during the game every once in a while mm -hmm. and there's stops and starts mm -hmm. like straight running is hard um especially for like someone who's six nine like it's very hard on my body especially running on concrete <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah yeah I'm... sorry sorry i shouldn't laugh yeah, I, can, <laughs> I, I know because i heard people say like running is hard on the joints right yeah, so, yeah. it's very hard on like yeah unless you're like you're an experienced runner like yourself like where you're running 20 miles and like your body's like built for that um it would take a lot oh, no, of... no 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 not 20 miles just or like 20 kilometers, 13 20 miles kilometers, 20 kilometers. yeah 20 kilometers yeah yeah but yeah um it would take a long time for my body to get to like where your level's at where it wouldn't just be like straight injuries after like the first three <laughs> first three months mm. yeah mm. but you know I'm, I'm a huge proponent of like um they call it lsd like long slow distance where you're just really trying to like not overexert and you're just really trying to like just it's just aerobic so it's just like it's more about like just doing it for a long time right. rather than like rather than like sprinting or like or like having bursts um uh i am not an athlete at all so i i, I mean i cannot dunk uh maybe that's one thing i should try to do is like one day like be able to dunk or work my way up to it but it's like that that part of my my life is over so it's like i just stay on the ground and i just i just i just take little steps that's, little that's kind steps. of what i do hey yeah. i mean if the zombie apocalypse were to happen tomorrow you would have a higher chance of surviving than me because you would be able to run super long distance away from them and i would get tired and just get eaten alive and provide them with that. i don't know man <laughs> if you have longer arms you can kind of like you can like keep them at bay while i just get <laughs> crushed by some zombie that came up behind me so i don't know i think i think you probably have some advantages too so yeah probably pros and cons yeah. to everything right um, yeah, yeah yeah that's super cool that yeah. you want to do like competitive magic i obviously i'm way too busy with basketball but i would also want to get into competitive magic one of these days um mm -hmm. but like you play legacy and there's obviously modern and pioneer and mm -hmm. that how do you, that whole meta with all those cards available seems a little overwhelming to me. <laughs> no, it's, it's actually, it's actually like, yeah, there's, there's a big card pool, but people complain about formats, those formats too, because they, the complaint is really like, well, there's still going to be like the dominating cards, That's right? True. Cause like That's maybe, true. maybe there's like a million creatures, but then you, fi you figure out like there's 10 of them that are actually, you know, super high tier. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, Okay, I have no analogy to basketball, but it's like it, it'll be like you know, like oh, there's a <laughs> there's a there's a shoe now from a shoe company you never heard of, and I'll still go back to the Nike because it's like that's try tested and true, and it's the best one, right. you know. So that is true. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. so it, it's fun too. I, I I would encourage people if you're listening. I mean, I would encourage you, but also people listening to this, mm -hmm. to like just just try out different things because like. One thing I had to do over time was I would get burned out of like playing one format too much. And so it's nice to be able to, I think draft is fine though. Cause draft, it's always changing. There's new sets. So right. it's like, you're always like, you're always on your toes and yeah, like learning like new standard, things. I guess a little bit, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, and yeah, so I think those are, that, that's a good format. It's limited. Just like it's, it's probably the most, um, skill intensive format right and then commander is obviously more of a, a casual format it's more like a 
more like playing a board game with like three other friends or something. That's true. So. That that is a hundred percent true. You think limited is the most skill intensive? I think it is compared to like legacy Cause, cause, or modern. Yeah, or... yeah. Because I I've talked to a lot of um, people through the podcast, and like if you talk to some of the more like world class players Reed. or the world class players uh -huh. like Reed or Brian Kibler, it's like a lot of them will just tell you like straight up like limited is their favorite format because it's the most skill intense. Interesting. I'll take their word for it, you know? So if you play limited, that still means you can be very competitive. In fact, I've had, I've had people tell me like pro players, like they wish the pro tours could just be all, all limited. Right. Because to them, that would be actually be more skill testing. So that's actually mind blowing to me because I always thought like modern legacy or vintage was more skill intensive because the first three turns you're making crazy decisions that determine the game. And then limited, mm. if you just open like three bombs, I feel like, and you build around it well enough, you could put mm. your way through a 3 0. Mm. But then again, I'm just yeah. a casual basketball player. What do I know? <laughs> <laughs> casual magic player, you should yeah. say. Um, yeah, serious basketball player. Serious basketball um, player. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool, actually. I mean, it's just, it's just other people's perspectives, right? Like, I don't know hundred percent if it's, um, if it's like factually true or not, but I think that's the wonderful, wonderful thing about like basketball or magic is that people put their own spin on it. Right. Like if you, like, like if you, if you ask somebody like who's the best player in the, in the world, like in the NBA or whatever, yeah, or like who, yeah. who's the best coach, like you, you get different answers, yeah. right? There's who, no definitive. Who's your goat James? I'll just put it out there, man. I think it's LeBron. I, I really think it is. I, I think I think when um I think when he came back from that deficit in the finals against uh Golden State, right, when he was on the Cavaliers. I think that I think that made him go from of course Harrison Barnes started missing a lot of shots in that series <laughs> for some mysterious reason. But um I feel like there's mo there's series like that where it's just like Yeah, I mean sure you could say Michael Jordan could have come back down in that series or whatever, right? But I just feel like LeBron's body of work and for doing it so long and still being the athlete he is at his current age, right? I think that says something. Yeah. Um, and I don't, and I don't, I don't really like. Uh, the last thing I'll say about this part is like, I know people hate on him for like the decision and like all the things that he did over the years. But I feel like that's just making the best use of the environment that he's in. Yeah, he like, it. I don't begrudge him for doing that. Right. I, I like, I, for example, I'm a LeBron fan, but I'm a Katie hater because like, to me, they still did things differently despite kind of doing it like the same way in the big picture. Right. But I still feel like LeBron like instantly made his teams better. Mm -hmm. um, and he just didn't like, he didn't quit on his teams like the way that maybe some of the modern superstars would now. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's my answer. Yeah, that was a really long answer. But what about you? <laughs> what, 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 who is your who's your goat? I think. See, like, kind of like how uh, you know all the pro players said limited's like the most skill intensive. I find like a lot of athletes say Michael Jordan, just because of the six zero. Um, yeah. But like for me personally, um, 
it has to be LeBron James because he's the greatest scorer of all time. Mm-hmm. He has longevity. He's like the most consistent over those 20 seasons that he's doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he doesn't have the championships to back it up and people side on him for the decision. But like, I think basketball and like sports is the only industry where like you get hated on for making the best decision for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> like for being the, like, like, for example, in other industries, it's like, if you like, if you go find a better paying job, like a better title or something, like nobody hates you for it. Yeah, right. So like, like oh, you yeah, become a CEO of another company. <laughs> yeah. It's like good for but you. in basketball or in sports, it's somehow loyalty different. Yeah. And there's uh, this sort of like pretend purity about the sport yeah. or, and also people talk about how LeBron, like, um, like, oh, his conversion percentage when he make goes to the finals is like not as good as Michael's or somebody else. And I'm just like, dude, it's about how many shots you take. Like, does that really matter? Like, are people going to like, look at, look back on his career, like 20 years from now and be like, you know what? LeBron James, like only like won the title, you know, six out of, you know, 15 times he was in the finals. Like, does that really matter? Went to the finals 15 times. (laughs) Like I, I, I don't actually know the numbers. I, I have no idea. I, I just just pulled those numbers out it's arbitrarily. 11, but... It's eleven or twelve at this point. I think. Yeah, I'm not a hundred percent either. But mm. he's he's just over twenty seasons, and then he's going to yeah. play like five more at least because his yeah. son Bronny has to make the NBA first. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. He, that that's going to be history, right? Yeah. Either on the same team or just playing against right. each other. He's yeah, and only LeBron James can do that at like age forty three and still contribute. Mm-hmm. I guess the only one who's ever come close is Kareem or Vince Carter. Mm-hmm. But no, he's a go. Assists, rebounds, I'm... scoring. Yeah, best basketball player of all time. It's LeBron James. Yeah, I I'm glad that uh, we're in agreement. Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> uh, and yeah, and also like, um, I, I was asking my friends about this. I want to ask you, how long do you think it's going to take for the scoring record to be broken by somebody else in the future? So there's like, like, I just watched a YouTube video on this by, uh, this YouTuber called Jimmy high roller. And like what LeBron James has done in 20 seasons. And you map that out to like, who's coming in, who's like, Comparing him to like Luka Doncic, John Morant, all like the super young stars yeah. that could potentially catch him, and you put it on a graph, LeBron James is like all the way over here, rising exponentially in his first couple of years, and here's everyone else because of you know load management, injuries, mm-hmm. personal problems. Like people don't understand how like LeBron James played every game and scored like thirty to forty points as a 19 year old and how Mm -hmm. insane that looks even in today's NBA with like, with all like the scoring that's happening now and how offenses are. Yeah. Yeah. They say it's easier than ever to score in the NBA. I'm not sure if that's like a generalization, but it certainly feels that way from the scores. Right. I think it's just the players that are getting better. NBA is becoming more of a make or miss league and everything Mm -hmm. else kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's besides the point. Like LeBron James just doing that at age 19, 18, 20, and being that good at that early and still being that good at age 38 
And he's still going to be relatively that good at age 42, 43. At age 43, LeBron's still probably going to be averaging like 18 to 23 points per game. Ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to be broken. Um, He's supposed to, if he plays up until Bronny, he's supposed to end up with like 45,000 points. And maybe Victor Wimbanyana could break it, but he's also 7'4 with the size 21 shoe and that has a history of just breaking down and getting injured a lot. So, yeah. yeah. You need like a. I think it's more a question like, is it, is it, is it possible that it will never be broken? Uh, like, or maybe in the future when NBA players can play up to like 50 because of technology, maybe then it could be broken. I mean, yeah. it's going to be broken, but. I think it's going to be like Kareem's record where it just stands for such a long time because LeBron James is literally a once-in-a-lifetime kind of player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. I don't know if you think the same way, but that's definitely where I'm at. I do. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't call him the GOAT, right? <laughs> that's, true. that's true. That's true. I'm, I'm sorry for people listening to this. I am not a LeBron hater. <laughs> I, I am I am just very practical, and I just have to respect what he has done. So, yeah. Um, but going back to you, Hugh, um, what does the future look like for you? Just in terms of, because um, I know you've studied. Uh, did you study business? Is that what you did in in college? Or I my finance degree, and then I did one year of an MBA program, but then hated it, so I went pro. Um... <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, what was it that you absolutely hated about the MBA program? Grad school in general, you have to be very passionate about what you're getting your degree in or else you feel like you're dying on the inside. And that's what it kind of felt like. It felt like a bunch of people who are a lot more passionate than me around me. And it's not a knock on mm-hmm. them. It's more of a knock on me. And I just felt like, Either I was bringing the program down or I wasn't getting as much as I wanted out of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably that. I yeah. get you. Yeah. So turn pro instead. I get you. It's more passionate about basketball. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the question of like, where do you, where, where do you want to be like in three to five mm-hmm. years? Like, how would you, how would you answer that? See, this is also, this is a hard question right now because the past two years, I've only been thinking of, I just want to get back to the court because <laughs> I've been injured. Yeah. Um, I guess recently, I really do want to make the World Cup team for Japan and be one of the 12 members on the Japan national team uh, and hopefully improve enough to where like I don't have to scrape my way onto the team like barely get in be the 12th guy and i'd rather be like you know the seventh sixth guy that's like the next step mm-hmm. um but that's basketball wise obviously i really like it here in uq if i could stay here longer it's amazing the arena is amazing the fans are amazing the basketball is really good um they treat me really really well here so I would like to stay here and then on the business front, hoping to set up my own business and get into like real estate and 
you know, stocks and make sure I'm not like a broke basketball player. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess uh, you don't want to end up like, um, oh man, why does his name suddenly pop into my head? Like Antoine Walker or something. I don't want to end up like, no, don't want to do that at all. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta manage your yeah. money well. You gotta do exactly. that at least. Exactly. Yeah. finance. Yeah. <laughs> not, not. You can't have too many uh, baby mamas, or like you have to be responsible. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah. My uh, current girlfriend would kill me. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then I don't know. In three to five years, I just want to be having fun really life's too short not to have it so mm-hmm. playing fun basketball doing magic you know investing treating my family right having friends just living a fulfilling life and being grateful for it i think that's the biggest goal nice yeah, yeah. nice well hugh um thanks for taking the uh, time to um to chat uh, man. thank it's, you uh yeah, I, it's been so much fun. Like, I don't usually get a chance to talk so much about basketball, right. and uh, I, I, I love it. I, I am a spectator purely, mm-hmm. but um, uh, it's really good to like find out about some of the similarities, uh, you know, in terms of playing basketball and playing mm-hmm. magic, and also get a little bit of um, glimpse into. Uh, who you are as a person so thank you for doing that and uh who knows maybe in the future i'll be able to to meet you in in japan or hawaii or wherever it is that would be also very um very yeah. cool anytime so. uh if you're ever in okinawa obviously like if you ever want tickets to a game i got you 100 percent um but yeah no just thank you for having me on here and it, yeah it's been a really cool experience <laughs>